Part Four of Just Me by Pearl White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the circus gets into one's blood. I even to this day am more thrilled listening to a calliope or circus band than I could ever be with Sousa or even the opera. My career with the circus was not long lived, but oh how happy I was working with that act on traps, and the same time learning to be a bareback rider, which by the way is about the greatest ambition I ever had. One night I was doing a giant swing with only my right hand on the bar when several of the ligaments broke loose in my wrist and I fell. I don't know just what happened, but it seems that I struck the edge of the net below and bounced onto the ground, breaking my collarbone and my future as a circus performer. My wrist had to be strapped for several years, and my right hand even today is still very weak from that strain. The next two years were spent in school, and during vacation I worked in a printing office, feeding paper bags into a press which I worked with my foot from eight in the morning until six at night. All this for four dollars a week. And besides, one day I forgot to take my hand out in time, the same right hand, and the press closed on it, crushing several of the bones. All during my printing office job career I nursed my theatrical ambition in silence, as my father had decided that an actress I should never be. I left school when I was fifteen. Then began the battle to outwit my father toward fulfilling my ambition. On the north side of Springfield there was a stock company in a theater called Deemers. This company, also the theater, belonged to a doctor by that name. Dr. Deemer had, I think, made his money through a patent medicine called Antigrippine. About four rooms in the theater building he reserved for the purpose of packing these pills into boxes filling mailing orders etc this is where i got in there was a small printing office where their advertising circulars were printed i must have applied for a job to run one of the presses about a dozen times before they took me on as i had suspected the theater programs were printed there also and through a lot of persuasion with the foreman i was given charge of them this brought me into contact with the manager and the director of the stock company this company played two different plays each week, and their only matinees were Saturday and Sunday. I soon began to work myself into small parts, and as I also took care of my printing job, my father didn't seem to consider that as actually being on the stage. Besides, I made some extra money and even got my sister some small parts. Most parents have such wild and absurd ideas concerning the lives that people in the theatrical profession lead. How silly! As a matter of fact, most of us work too hard to have time to breed immorality in our minds. But to go back to my story. My father came around to the theater quite a bit and found out himself that actors were just human beings after all. I eventually got to play some very good parts once in a while, and I also took dramatic lessons in Shakespearean plays from a woman in the company, one Frances Field by name, who had at one time been with some important companies. Of course, like every other beginner, I dreamed of playing Juliet and Ophelia. I didn't display very much talent on the stage at first, but I was always very good about minding my own business and being on the job and I certainly liked the work, so that helped some. 
it was pretty hard to go back to the press when the company closed for the three hot summer months however i sweated and fed into the machine meaning printing press endless sheets that sounded the praises of anti-grippine dr deemer's wonderful discovery to cure coughs colds grip and in fact most everything at night i used to stitch weird creations that went to make up the theatrical wardrobe one of these i shall always remember as it played some important parts in this little narrative this creation consisted of a short ballet skirt made out of yards and yards of red white and blue tarlatan which was put together in layers and when i kicked up a bit you saw red white and blue stripes ah but i didn't stop there the outside skirt was composed of red white and blue ribbons the waist part out of blue satin with white stars sewed on making the whole thing have the effect of an american flag i guess the workmanship on this outfit was pretty crude but it proved to be a good idea for it helped me out of some pretty tight places an audience must applaud the american flag even if the act is rotten the next season i was nearly seventeen again the theatre opened but the cast was composed of different artists than those who had been there the season before i did get a couple of good parts but it was very hard working day and night besides the townspeople did not look upon me as a regular actress and i did not get very much encouragement and applause from the audience my last performance in springfield ended in quite a catastrophe i was playing albert in monte cristo ye gods how i loved that part in the first act i wore a long black cape over boys clothes of that period the clothes were rented from a costumer in kansas city and how wonderful i felt swishing that cape about the stage in the ballroom scene i had to fight a duel with old monte cristo himself we used small buttons on the ends of the swords and of course that lessened the danger of us being really cut we had rehearsed this scene until we had gotten a pretty good fight framed up for some reason i always fought with my mouth open the first performance everything went off well but the second either i made a false move or he an unrehearsed thrust anyhow he rammed the end of his sword into my open mouth and i guess i must have bitten down on it for as he pulled it out again the rough edges on the button on the end of the sword took a hunk out of the inside of the roof of my mouth which was followed by a stream of blood i forgot where i was and burst into tears my rage was so great that i pounced upon the poor leading man and entered into a free-for-all fist fight i guess the poor fellow had to defend himself and of course we wrecked the performance so badly that they had to ring down the curtain but i didn't cease pounding poor old monty until i was dragged away by a couple of stagehands believe me i felt humiliated enough during the rest of the performance of that piece and i didn't have much inclination to play springfield again one of the performers who had been in the company the season before had taken out a repertoire company this year so i wrote asking him for a job to which he answered that i could have one most any time i wanted to join them i then contrived to get myself fired from my printing job also and after a few weeks idleness sprung the surprise on father that i could get a job with the all-star stock company at fifteen dollars a week this was a lot of money then so he let me go 
and I joined the company in Memphis, Tennessee. I made the trip alone in a day coach. In those days I didn't know there was such a thing as a Pullman car. It was my first train trip alone, and I bought no end of candy from the butcher boy, arriving in Memphis very late at night with a pretty weak stomach. The All-Star Stock Company was a traveling company, playing one week in each town, a different play each night. I played not very important parts in that company, under the name of Maisie Hall. Between the acts they put on singing and dancing turns, which were called specialties. I was, of course, at every performance, compelled to trip out in one of these. Now I always had a good clear voice that could carry a tune in a way, but it certainly was devoid of music. And my dancing, oh, that was awful. But still I danced. The red, white, and blue dress went fine when I sang patriotic numbers, but the only thing that would furnish an excuse for the short full skirt was that I do a skirt dance for an encore. It's a good thing that I had the American flag to protect me through this spasm, even that failed in one town. The whole company were none too clever, and when we struck one town in Mississippi, Natchez by name, dancing was cut out of my stage career forever. It was Thursday, and we had been playing the town since Monday, and by the way were not much of a success. Hence it seems that this night some of the audience came armed. I don't know whether the plot had been framed up against me or not. Anyway, this was my red, white, and blue night. It certainly turned out blue for me. The grand old rag had gone very well, and a goodly bit of applause burst forth. Then I started to dance. I heard something land on the stage behind me with an awful smack, followed by a lot of giggling in the front of the house. But on I danced. As I gave one extra high kick, some article was thrown onto the stage and landed under my one foot that was resting on terra firma. This gave me an awful skid, and I landed in a sitting-down position with a terrible thud. Then came another missile whizzing over my head. Horrors! They were throwing rotten eggs at me. Oh, the mortification I suffered that night, for I was taking myself very seriously in those days. This company lasted about two months, and then stranded down in South Carolina. However, I had saved up nearly sixty dollars, which seemed quite a fortune. It was in Charleston, South Carolina. I was stopping with a private family, as in those days about five dollars per week for room and board was the absolute limit. Consequently, the hotels were beyond me, and I always stayed in boarding houses or private homes. This family was very nice to me. The father was a purser on a passenger boat running from New York to Cuba, and he came home for several days while I was there. Now to go back to Springfield would have put an awful hole in my bankroll, so I was all for getting a job that would not cost me railroad fare to reach. He told me that he would get me a job as stewardess on board his boat. Wonderful! I could go out onto the ocean and see a bit of the world. It was on board that little boat that I first realized how foul one's stomach can treat you. Seasickness! My job consisted of emptying the slop jars and straightening up the cabins. It seems there was nothing I was commissioned to do that didn't require stooping over, and this was the one thing that my stomach wouldn't stand for. 
Luckily, that was a short trip, because I had begun to crave death by the time we landed in Havana. So I took my suitcase, and with the promise to be back in time for the return trip, I left a week's wages and the boat flat. Now my advice to any young girl who is searching for a career is, don't go to Cuba. I soon found that out. I, armed with the trusty red, white, and blue, soon got a job in a variety hall, but to have done that without speaking any Spanish at all was quite a trick. However, I shortened my skirt a little more, and sang American songs to a lot of applause. I was then calling myself simply Miss Maisie. Most of the audience understood not what I sang. Perhaps it was better so, and maybe they were only applauding the American flag. Needless to say, I did not dance. I stayed there about a month, and when I had all of the money that I had saved out of my earnings translated into American money, it came to nearly two hundred dollars. My salary was not large. Oh, no. But it was customary, then, for Cubans, if they liked a performer, to toss coins upon the stage for an encore, and allow me to say that I went sour on many a high note picking up the odd pesos, I found fault not with Cuba, nor with the pennies I was gaining, but with the men who inhabit the island. I had never had any amount of attention paid to me by the male sex before. Somehow I was not the type that men fall for. But these Spanish boys, mother of mercy, they trailed me through the streets, chattering in their weird language of which I understood nothing. Perhaps they were harmless and were only trying to borrow money or something. Anyway, I flattered myself I was being chased, being an American and quite fair, along with my production of homemade clothes, which I must admit were pretty wild, for in those days I loved a lot of colors mixed together. Perhaps the poor fellows, after all, were only handing themselves a lot of laughs. I had been told by a troop of acrobats working in the same theater with me that South America was the place that I should descend upon that the people there appreciated talent and were much more refined than were the Cubans. Of course, they were kidding me, but I fell for it and started for South America. Buenos Aires was to be my goal. I dipped into my savings and bought my transportation. The rest of the money I firmly sewed in a chamois bag, which I hung around my neck and departed for South America, with a third-class ticket in one hand and a Spanish self-taught method book in the other the steerage suffering cats i don't see why the laws that govern humanity allow people to travel in such discomfort to be seasick which they all are is bad enough but to be chucked in with a lot of people speaking a lot of different languages and you can't tell whether they are talking to you or about you is too awful i landed in buenos aires on my seventeenth birthday which is a rather tender age to be so far away from home. However, I was as tall as I am now, and looked at least twenty-three or four. In fact, when I was nineteen, my photographs showed that I looked older than I do even today. Buenos Aires is more or less just a big cosmopolitan city, and I felt small and frightened enough when I landed there. Although you do find quite a few English-speaking people, the majority are Latin and stick to their respective native tongues. If in Cuba I was a small riot, in South America they didn't even know I was there. 
i did get several weeks work in the music halls but i got so terribly lonesome and even homesick that i parted with most of my bankroll i also sold the trusty red white and blue to an american girl i met there and got passage on a freight boat going to new orleans thank god there was no steerage on that boat or i guess i would have drawn it the trip was a long rough one and in the spring of the year the gulf stream certainly can behave pretty nasty of course i was seasick and we ran into an awful storm which threw the boat out of its course for several days i lay in my bunk felt the boat rock saw the waves come in the door thought of the old song rocked in the cradle of the deep and decided that mine was meant to be a watery grave so with the fear of god still in my heart i arrived in new orleans a pretty sick person and boarded a train bound towards home my money was absolutely exhausted by the time i reached memphis tennessee and when by the way i passed through the station there i was not the same happy girl that i was when i stepped off the train at that same station some months earlier to join the all-star stock i made the rest of the trip to springfield without eating anything except an apple which was given to me by a lady on the train who had a lot of lunch done up in a box i was a sorry-looking sight when i stepped off at the station in springfield but i was too tired and hungry to nurse my pride so with my battered old suitcase in hand i walked to my father's house over a mile away and fairly fell in the door what a success i had turned out to be now my family was never a hysterical one but as they received no news from me during my tour of the foreign countries they had a lot of angry emotions stored up that they immediately spilled End of part four.